Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. My guest today is Melissa Ryan. Pronouns are she, her, hers. Melissa, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. My name is Melissa and I write and edit uh, the Control-Alt-Write-Delete weekly newsletter. Uh, and I'm also the CEO of Card Strategies, which is a small consulting firm that helps progressive organizations uh, who are dealing with disinformation and extremism. Whew, okay, we have a lot to unpack here. So um, <laughs> I'll start the show always um, with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing the scene? Well, I think it's important to cause a scene because the world uh, is not in a good place. Uh, and uh, if we want to save it, we have to fight as hard as we can, uh, not just to uh, restore what we may have had, but frankly, to make the world better. Uh, and I cause a scene by uh, fighting disinformation and fighting far-right extremism at every opportunity. All right, so let's just dive into this. What the fuck is disinformation? Uh, so disinformation uh, is uh, false information that is purposely put into the internet uh, ecosystem. So uh, there's an organization, First Draft News, that has definitions I really like. Misinformation is uh, just false information, but the person who has put it out doesn't realize it's not true. Mm -hmm. uh, so if your uh, you know, uncle shares something that seems true on Facebook, uh, that's misinformation, but it's not necessarily met with harmful intent. Mm -hmm. Disinformation is when someone puts information out that they know is not true uh, for a political or commercial purpose. Uh, so say the Trump campaign, when they put out disinformation about uh, mail-in voting that they know is not true, and they have a plan to uh, disseminate that disinformation. That would be disinformation. And then there's a third one called malinformation. Say that um, again? And that, malinformation. Malinformation, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's information that is released solely for the purpose to cause harm, uh, whether it is true or not. Uh, so online harassment would be malinformation uh, or leaks or hacks might be malinformation mm -hmm. as well. So I want to back up a bit because you said for commercial use and what popped in my head was fuck commercials, um, <laughs> advertising. Um, there's a whole lot of disinformation there. Um, and the difference is, and so I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I want my community to understand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tide does not save your life. You know, that is misinformation, uh, disinformation. And yet it is not also causing harm to our society. It's not dismantling our, whether you use Tide or not, does nothing to impact our democracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, at, not at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know. Um, right and, after this, that time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who knows what'll happen in 2021? Because 2020 has been, <laughs> has been a, a lot to deal with. So first of all, tell me, how did you get, what's your background? How did you get here? What, because, okay, first of all, let me, let me, again, for people who, this is so funny because people always say how, oh, it's so fine, hard to find um, marginalized people or underrepresented people for my podcast. How did I find you? I saw a tweet and I DM'd you, I think. Or either, or either um, if your DMs weren't open, 
I actually uh, will put it in the, in the, no, I DM'd you. I, that, no, that was I our first contact. Um, so either I DM people out of nowhere because it's something they said, mm-hmm. or if they don't have their DMs open, I leave a message below their tweet. So mm-hmm. you can't tell me that you can't get individuals. Melissa doesn't know me. She has something that she wants to, obviously she wrote, uh, wrote an article. She obviously wants to get it out there. So let's have a conversation. So I wanted to say that up front because I'm so sick of hearing people's, I'm so sick of podcast individuals or, or what do we, I don't even know what, I'm just going to call it podcast hosts or producing teams saying, oh, we can't find these voices. And that's not true. You're not looking for the voices. Um, so how did you get into all of this and how did you, and because disinformation is one thing, but you're specifically targeting disinformation from the alt-right, which yep. is whew, a whole nother kettle of fish. So how do we get down this rabbit hole? <laughs> sure. So I, uh, for 10 years, worked in uh, electoral politics as a digital strategist for Democratic campaigns and then a lot of uh, nonprofit clients as well. And uh, what I was particularly good at and interested in uh, sort of helping uh, folks, uh, candidates and organizations find their people online, uh, build relationships with their people and mobilize them. And in 2016, something had clearly gone very wrong. Um, I could see, you know, I have a pretty good familiarity with what online conversation should look like in an election year. And what I saw that was that everything that the right was doing was getting over amplified beyond who I thought, you know, their base of support was. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Sure. Can you define the right? Um, let's start there. Can you, because, mm, <laughs> yeah, can we define what you mean by the right? Sure. I mean, I, at that point, I'm definitely just thinking um, mainstream conservative conversation, uh, you know, the Republican Party. Uh, but the other thing that I noticed was that this very racist, very nativist, very misogynist rhetoric was creeping into what I would have otherwise thought were more mainstream conservative conversations. So things that conservatives might have thought, but had enough sense to realize they probably shouldn't say that out loud in an election year. Uh, it was open season. Apparently anything uh, was okay to say anymore uh, and was just getting amplified like crazy. And where it really hit, I started okay, taking- so, Okay, I want to stop you there because you just said something that I need people to understand. What Melissa just said and what I've said continuously, this is not new. What's new is the open, flagrant, in-your-face racism and and, and misogyny and sexism and the things that Black folks knew were going on, but at least folks were quiet about it. Now it's all seasons. Okay, I just want to make sure people heard that because again, this is not new. <laughs> it's just new to you. Black people have been talking about this forever. It's right. just now the climate changed, and people who would normally, as you said, would not say this in public are now just spewing it. Yeah, I mean, it's you know the idea is the Overton window of what is politically acceptable uh, conversation in the mainstream. It was definitely changing, and it was changing in rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an analyst, Jonathan Morgan, who actually did an uh, um, analysis of Trump's Facebook comments over the course of 2016 and how they became more racist and more misogynist as the campaign progressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's particularly interesting because you think about normally once a Republican has the nomination they tend to try to move towards the center. 
because they're trying to, you know, get as many votes as possible and run for the, you know, leading the country. And Trump never really made that pivot. If anything, I think his his rhetoric and the rhetoric of his supporters, um, they became more comfortable with racism and more comfortable with misogyny. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the thing of, so I I can use myself as an example. When I first got on Twitter, it was mainly... Um, I was, you know, professional. I'm just going to be professional, professional, professional. Um, and then as I started unpacking white supremacy, anti-racism, anti-blackness, and seeing the other rhetoric, what I would do is, in particular at that point, I was, at the end of 2017, I was just frustrated. I was just done with people and they're talking. So I was strategic about, let me, let me say this and see what people say. Oh, okay. So let me say this and see what people say. Oh, 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 okay. And until it's to a point now where I just don't, I have n- no fucks to give. I say whatever the hell I want to. But I tell people that I wouldn't be here being able to say this if it were not for Trump. I tell, I'm very clear. Oh, that's that, interesting. Yes, I'm very clear that I know that the Twitter that I was on before 2016 is totally different um, than the Twitter that I um, occupy now because I have the... I, I, and that's not just, it's with a lot of black folks. It is like, well, fuck, if they're going to say it, then why? Do, I'm, I'm going to say it too. I'm going to, I'm, if these folks can say whatever the hell they want to say, then I'm going to do it too. Interesting. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that is a, cl- I mean, I'm, I, re- I specifically remember being very strategic about, okay, what is, okay, let me, let me try this. And it was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> And I so I just, huh? I think that's been true for a lot of political candidates as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And, and and so he was a model for that though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because people ask me like, what is the one good thing Trump has done? And I can't say he's done anything good because he's a horrible person, mm-hmm. but I do think it frees up other candidates who are running for office. They don't feel a need to be as bottled he, up. They feel more he he ripped the lid off of <laughs> civility. I, that's why we have a shirt in the community that's fuck civility. He ripped the, the, the lid off civility. I don't need to be civil with you because I, in the past, civility has been about black people managing their behavior so that everybody else is comfortable. When I saw that and I was like, wait a minute, civility is optional for white folks. They get to pick and choose, but I'm expected to be civil. Oh, I'm not doing this anymore. So that's what I can tell you is that he, and I agree with you, He's done well. Let me let me let me be very clear. I'm happy he's president, and let me tell you why. Hmm. We wouldn't be in this moment of businesses reaching out to me talking about they want to be. What the hell? Businesses reaching out saying they want to be anti-racist. What? Where, where did y'all even learn this word from? That he's put a fire under quote-unquote liberals and progressives who thought they were doing something Mm -hmm. um, and shown a light of how harmful their behavior was and that they have to do so much more. So if if nothing else, I, as a Black woman, am grateful that he is in the space. Not that the stuff he's doing, but I knew that was going to happen with anybody because this is what's been happening in this country forever. All the the most marginalized are always going to get harmed. Did he... His presidency was the first time that white people could not gaslight black people and say, no, that's not what's going on. You're just misinterpreting that. That's not really what that is. No, it's, 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 there is no hiding it. It is absolutely out there. So that's to me is why 
I appreciate what he's him as a person. Anything else, I, I have him on block or what I don't want to hear his voice. But the fact that he's giving me this, and I have to, because, and let me say this, and I say this because I I fundamentally understand that my ability to have a voice to say what I need to say is, and I hate it, but it is what it is, is because white people have given me the space to do that. If white people decided to shut me down and I would, I would be gone. So he was the, the, the privilege of the privilege of whiteness that were exposed so much so mm-hmm. that we could say, you know what, what do I have to lose? Yeah. It's changed the conversation. It's, it's the, exactly. Now I'm not, I don't have to say when I say white, all whiteness is racist by design because that is what it is and can't be trusted by default. I don't have to debate that with you. That is my hard stance. Now, if you want to have a conversation with me, then we can move from that point on. But I don't have to, you don't have to, you can't wear me down anymore with, well, is that racist? Well, was that racist? I don't know. That didn't seem racist to me. It was a little bit racist. It was just, it was racist on a 10% scale. That's all. It wasn't racist. It wasn't that racist. You know, these are the conversations we were having. Yeah, that must be endlessly frustrating. Um, not only the not only the weight the weight of racism, but to outright no, that's not what that is, you know. And we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I digress. But I <laughs> wanted to I wanted to give the community an understanding of how this person being in office, although it is, and I say the same thing about coronavirus, although it is a detriment. And I knew my community was going to be hit the hardest. What has come out of this for Black Lives Matter has changed the world. So his rhetoric, although he feeds into, as you were talking about, the Mm alt-right, it has also liberated those who have been oppressed by and harmed by racism. So I need people to see that because white folks have a problem with seeing things in binaries. It's either good or bad. I don't get to live in the binary. I have to live in the gray. And so... Um, I have never been felt this liberated in my life because of him. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, we were talking about, oh, oh, my background. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I, where it really hit home for me, uh, was during one of the Clinton Trump debates. And I tweeted something that I thought was pretty innocuous about Trump standing creepily behind her. And for whatever reason, it took off. Uh, and at first I had like a bunch of celebrities and politicians retweeting it, which fine. Uh, but by the next morning, uh, my Twitter mentions had taken a very dark turn and there were lots of threats. Uh, there were comments about, um, how fat I was, how I should be raped, just like nothing. And I'm a woman on the internet and politics, so I'm used to online harassment. Mm -hmm. This was a whole nother level. Yeah. Uh, But I could also tell it was organized and it was Uh, Because again, this is what I do for a living. So I started tracing it and I found the tweet on a now defunct white nationalist blog. Mm -hmm. And I found the tweet on the Donald subreddit. And it's basically like, you know, look what this bitch tweeted. Yes. (laughs) And then they tell you to go harass her. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's how our stuff ends up on Breitbart. And then we get her. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, and again, like part of me is like, wow, this is like so much more organized, I think, than even I realized. Mm -hmm. And I'm like nothing who like you elevated this, you know, for the purpose of harassing me. Um, So at that point I really dove in. And after the election was, uh, you know, when Trump won, I left my job at my consulting firm and I decided (laughs) to make this. Okay, see, I'm going to stop you right there because you just, 
prove what I just said. <laughs> what these individuals don't understand is that they think they're chasing us away, but what they're doing is, is highlighting areas and opportunities for us to go in that we never even knew existed. I mean, yes, yes and no, right? I, I think the, the sad reality is a lot of, of Black Americans, people of color, and women have been driven offline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah most definitely. Oh, well, and that, that goes to how Zuck and, 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 and um, Jack and these, uh, how they yeah. deal with this stuff um, uh, on, online, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the goal is, you know, the goal is to drive, uh, yes. drive us out of the conversation. Yes and keep yes. us white men. And I don't ever want to make it seem like I am somehow tougher or made of different stuff. Oh, no, 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 exactly. Uh, You're not a superwoman. No. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a certain amount of insanity to it. But part of the reason I think I was able to look at it with um, some emotional detachment was, again, that background in online. Exactly. And, and, and let me, I'm glad you, you corrected me on that because that is what I meant. Um, I had a unique background that I didn't even know that the pieces came together to make this thing happen. Um, I was, I thought I was just some random person online and, you know, who was getting into tech and I found out, Oh, wow, I'm uniquely qualified to have this conversation (laughs) that I didn't even know was a conversation and was even existed. It was like so much. I didn't know that I didn't know. Yeah. So that's what I mean by that. Almost definitely they they have run us off. And so I didn't want to make, thank you for that. I don't want to make light of that, but what, what, what I want, not, but period. Uh, what I want to highlight, though, is for folks who are find themselves uniquely qualified or uniquely interested in this, it has given it has put a light up under us. Like, oh wow, okay, now I see what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, it can be sort of liberating too when they're going to when they're going to come at you anyway. Well, you yes, have, you know. <laughs> and that's the whole point. As a black woman, they're going to come at me anyway. So it's like, what do I have to? As long as you're not threatening my physical, I'm good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and the way that worked out was uh, I started by uh, writing a newsletter. Uh, and at first I thought maybe a couple hundred of my colleagues would be interested in what I learned as I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, four years later, we're now up to over 16,000 readers. Oh, wow. Uh, far beyond politics. People <laughs> who are generally interested, journalists, people who work in academia, uh, comes out every Sunday. And then from that, um, you know, also doing some consulting uh, with progressive groups who are either hit with this themselves and don't know what to do. Yes. Uh, organization is under attack or, uh, more and more because they want to, uh, advocate against the tech companies, uh, you know, who are, are doing them wrong or harming the, their issues. Uh, so yeah, that's this weird little niche I have created. Exactly. And there's so many weird, because, because my, that's what I tell people. I'm like, I'm not in competition with anybody. There's nobody doing what I'm doing. I mean, such a, I created a niche for myself. <laughs> and with technology, and again, I'm just going to say, who would have known that technology and hate would spur so much creativity, so much solidarity among individuals who are just like, you know what? Because <laughs> I tell people, as long as I have an internet connection and a, and a, and a camera on my phone, I can say whatever. I, this is my platform. And I didn't have to spend money to get a news um, station. I didn't have to, you know, like your, your newsletter, it's not costing you an exorbitant amount of money to host your newsletter as it would if you had a, 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 a publishing company kind of thing. And so, um, it has trickled down to the most vulnerable having definitely not equal say, but at least a, 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 a small portion of the internet where they can share their stories. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's, that's the uh, ultimate dream, right? Like, I think if you think back to 2011, 2012, when you saw these uprisings around the world that were live streamed, you saw Occupy protests, and it was, oh, the internet is great. It's going to democratize communication. And I think to a certain extent it has, and certainly voices have emerged that wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, but we are also seeing, you know, the ill effect of that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that Holocaust deniers have a voice. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Conspiracy theorists have a voice and, and white nationalists have a voice. So finding the right balance of that, I think, is going to be the uh, battle of a generation. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, Lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag cause the scene so finding the right balance of that, I think, is going to be the battle of a generation. Well, one of the things that I, I, I point to is, um, and this is where I diverge from a lot of Folks, um, I don't I don't care about equality. I want equity. So mm-hmm. um, uh, a white nationalist voice is not equal to trans black women. Um, and so if we want and the ease at which, like you said, it was coordinated. Right. So they, they had a strategy behind this. Trans black women don't have a strategy behind their voices. They don't have that 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 network behind them. So that means we have to do more if we're talking about equality, to make sure that their voices are heard more often, louder, and um, because they don't have the networks behind them. And so I I really uh, appreciate anybody who is pushing that narrative. And, and, And I'm really, what's really concerning, let's get back to disinformation, is how good it is. Like the wow stuff, most of us are just like, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I didn't, you know, that didn't get me. But there, it's, it's like, there's, 80% 80% truth in something, and then they'll drop that 20% of something. It doesn't have to be 20% of a lie. It could just be 10% of a lie. And that just that 10% shifts the whole perspective and changes the conversation. And you find yourself trying to go back like, oops, um, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think anyone can fall for disinformation. Uh, The story I tell, which is embarrassing for me, is I was preparing a training on disinformation and I checked Facebook in the middle and there was something about Star Wars filming in Virginia. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Let me post that on Facebook. And of course, it was a fabrication. So if I, who study this all the time, Mm -hmm. can fall for uh, misinformation, anyone can. Uh, And yeah, part of the reason that it sticks is because it has emotional appeal or it Mm -hmm. seems or it sounds like something you have heard before, uh, or it looks legitimate. And part of being uh, a news consumer is you have to navigate that now, whether you want to or not, especially on social and media. The th- and the thing is, we never had those choices before. Our news was coming at us. It was never a two-way conversation. And um, it was biased then, it was racist then. Um, now it's just like a water hose has been, um, a fire hose has been turned on us and we're just getting hit with it constantly. Um, and it, it is, it is, I, I can say I, I was totally oblivious in 2016 and, and, um, 
and it might have been because I was just so engaged in changing my careers that I really didn't. I mean, I wasn't that focused on, again, my stuff was all about learning to code. Da, 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 that's where I was focused. Yeah. And so to see that you noticed it in 2016, there's a, a person, um, Digital Sister noticed it oh, at sure. that time. Yeah, Shireen noticed it. And then you're talking about, then you have the Mueller report and they talk about it. And yet it is still here and it's worse. It's worse and it's uh, domestic disinformation is going to be so much of a more of a problem in 2020. Uh, you know, that was a big uh, reason for writing the report uh, that you saw on Right Wing Watch. Yeah. Uh, is, you know, basically the, the American right, the pro-Trump apparatus, they have taken the best practices learned from 2016. They have adopted them and they have put millions of dollars behind them. Uh, so, you know, the Trump campaign knows that Facebook isn't going to fact check political ads. So they're going hog wild with ads and disinformation. You know, a couple of times they've gotten caught, like they had to take down the ad with the Nazi triangle last month. But for the most they didn't part- want to feign like, oh, we didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> and then when something does get taken down or labeled, they're very good at getting another news cycle out of it and playing. Yep. So all of these tactics that you had from foreign actors in 2016, they've been optimized, they've been adopted by the right, and there's just so much more money behind them. So you think about uh, the Russian intelligence agency, I think it was like $100,000 total in ads. Now, the Trump campaign probably spends that on Facebook ads in a week. So the scale of money being spent on this to spread disinformation is just so much larger than it was in 2016. I just have to take a breath after that because um, that's huge. Because when you throw money at something, I don't care how good or your intentions are, just throwing money at you, you're, you're allowed access and privilege and benefits of the doubt just by money and being the sitting president frankly the tech companies don't want to take down content from a sitting president and um i can understand the impulse but what that does is it empowers the powerful over the vast majority of their yeah yeah and it's and it's and this is one thing that i that i have been saying that you know so so many of his um his followers and that sounds like a messiah or something but (laughs) they act like it some so many of his constituents do not understand that they don't have the level of power and privilege that he has. And so they all do and say stuff and have consequences and they don't understand why. I mean, so he's not doing them a service either um, in, in what he is doing. <laughs> do you, I, and then I'm just pulling this question out of my ass. Cause this is just, a, do you even know what, what is all of this about? I mean, what, can you talk to us about what is this? Why are we dealing with this? <laughs> I mean, if I would say the world has been dealing with a growing fascism and authoritarianism problem for a while now, and Trump is our version of it. Um, you know, you have uh, there's still a lot of anger that we had the audacity to elect the first black president, and he was beloved and very good at his job. Uh, the other thing that, that I think is important is the Republican Party in this in this country have realized that the demographics are changing, the culture is changing, and they can't win a free and fair election. They know they can't win a free and fair election. So they have began throwing everything at the wall they can do to take uh, whatever power uh, those of us are gaining away. Um, and that has manifested itself in a bunch of ways. It manifests itself in voter suppression laws. It manifests itself in anti-democracy actions uh, in various states across the country. 
Uh, so like I think about when North Carolina elected a Democratic governor and the Republican state legislature immediately went into an emergency session to take powers, powers away from him. Uh, it manifests itself in disinformation and extremism. And I think really what it comes down to is, you know, these folks want to hold power by any means necessary. And they are happily willing to throw away their uh, democracy in order to hold on to power. And that's what, and so I'm glad you said it, because this is the thing that gets me with when I hear people, well, Mitch McConnell and whatever weren't this way years ago. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah. These are the same people that they were years ago. But back then it was, as we were talking about before, they kept their mouths closed and they did things behind the, behind the curtains. Because yeah. um, I always throw people back at the Powell memo that came out in 1970. Um, and how this is a strategy. This is a core, what we're seeing now is a coordinated strategy of 40 or 50 years. Um, that, that is now we're seeing, and I say that white supremacy is the parasite that's eaten on its host now, because you cannot contain, you cannot control chaos and destruction. At a certain point, we all get impacted by it. Mm -hmm. And we see this, um, and, um, Jonathan Mertzer, um, talked about in his book, Dying of Whiteness, is that, um, you have in so this is where I get like people like Bill Barr. Does he not care about his career? He's had his career. He's good. He has spent his whole time preparing for this moment. That's what I understand. What people don't understand, they prepare. They could walk off in the sunset knowing that they've stacked the courts. Um, they've done all these things. Are going to have a, 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 a such an impact on our democracy. And I'll put democracy in quotes because black people ain't never been a part of the democracy. Um, for generations to come if we don't do something. So their work, I don't understand why people don't understand that, that what they're doing is the work they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, and Bill Barr is going to be employed as a lobbyist or by- Oh, all of them are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, they're all going to be, this is not the end for, this does not end anything for them. They're going to go yeah. on a speaking tour. They're going to get books. They're gonna There's be, a lot less cost to working for the Trump administration than I think most people realize. Yes. Yes. And that's what, and because although they're the minority, they're not extinct <laughs> and they're the minority with the most power and they take care of their own. Yes. Except for when they're black people, because I don't know if you saw that diamond and silk are now suing them. Uh, suing <laughs> yeah. Uh, because see, this is the thing. This is where I, I, the whole, deb the, the whole debunking that black people can be racist against other black people is bullshit. What black people can do is be of service to white supremacy. And when white supremacy is done with them, they get tossed away because, and they have a, and they have a, they have a, a, a sound reasoning for, it because they said they were fired for saying the same things that white people on the right, right. were saying, but booze, boo booze, you black. You don't get to say what white folks say. At some yeah. point you was going to get your, go get your ass handed to you. Diamond and Silk testifying before Congress was, it's like two hours of my life. I can't get back. <laughs> so you did that to yourself. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did and then I wrote about it. So. <laughs> well, at least you got some, got some, some, some content. Kind of, yeah. Something out of it. But yeah, this is what I try. Cause even Candace Owens, as soon as they, they, the system, feels that she's overstepped yeah. and not been in service, she will be gone. It is not, it is not her individual power. She has money. She has influence. It's only in service. To, Candace Owens cannot go and run and, and, and open Popeye's chicken um, 
and use all that cachet and privilege to get to to ensure that she has um the best pipe pipe. No, that no 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 that ain't got nothing to do with white supremacy. You had to sit your ass over here and do this consulting, whatever that is, do these speeches, whatever, but it's all in service to white supremacy. Um oh boy. So so, so I saw a video and I wish I would have brought it um, up. It was, and I don't feel like searching for it right now, uh, but it was a, it was a three series, a three series video. And it talks about how disinformation came from Russia, how the Russian agents, how that was a part of their review process about how much disinformation they as spies um, used in that year. So they are mm-hmm. well-versed in how to use disinformation, what it does and, and how to spot, I mean, they had an actual strategy. You do this, you add a bit of truth, you find somebody who's a flunky who will spread it. <laughs> and, and these tactics, I mean, certainly go back before the internet. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly uh, Russians trying to use, uh, or the Soviet Union trying to use our own cultural weaknesses against us, uh, you know, trying to uh, divide Americans by race uh, in the in the 70s and 80s, there are instances of that. And I think it's important to remember Oh, stop, that- what, what, there are? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Shireen could speak to this, I think, better than me. Yeah, I, I've talked to her extensively about this, but I don't remember the 70s and yeah, 80s, but go ahead. There's a, there's a history of, um, you know, um, folks using our own cultural weaknesses against us. And I think that's the important thing to remember about Russia. Uh, you know, they exploited everything yeah. that we gave them. Uh, you know, when they're looking at, like, uh, propping up pro-NRA uh, content or when they were planning a pro-immigration rally on Facebook and an anti-immigration rally at the same time, you know, if Russian disinformation worked, it worked because America has not yes. had our own yeah. reckoning on these issues. And that creates a national security vulnerability. What would a national reckoning look like? I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm the right person to answer what a national reckoning would look like. Well, and from your 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 where you sit in your niche. From where I sit in my niche. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge. Uh, white supremacy and acknowledge, you know, that Trump has, you know, the reason that Trump has been able to do this is because he has this base of support that supports him. And he has an, an, a layer beyond that who wouldn't consider them Trump supporters, but are happy to not do anything, mm-hmm. you know, to, to just acknowledge is, is not quite enough. And again, you have to at a certain point get your, get skin in the game. Uh, and I will be the first to admit that I, you know, this has been a learning process for me as well. Um, starting earlier than 2016, but as a white progressive, there's a lot of things that, you know, it's very easy to choose not to see if you want to choose that. And if we want to move past that, if we want to make a stronger America, if we want to uh, not just uh, add, you know, add more seats to this table, so to speak, uh, it takes all of us, but especially white progressives, doing that work and recognizing our our own issues. Oh, I'm so happy you brought this up. Okay, as a white progressive, I'm ready to have this conversation because I do I do not trust progressives or liberals. I don't trust white politicians, people in politics, period. And this is why. It is the that's we need to have a revolution. Okay, well, you have a revolution, white people. It's not going to impact you. It's going to impact the, the when you flip these tables, these tables are going to flip on the most vulnerable. So they're not going to impact you while you're living in your little Silicon Valley house. And you, you take you, you know, like even in the pandemic, you got the pet, you, your kids are in school pods, and the only kids yeah. who, who have to go back are p- kids whose parents are essential workers. So they have to be in these spaces. Um, it's the same thing when. When um, 
when Bernie was still in the uh, in the race, and all I get kept hearing was every, for every fucking conversation, the answer was, "You don't believe in Amer- uh, uh, Medicare for all." What the fuck does Medicare for all have to do with the price of tea in China? It was the answer that everybody gave, and when I asked. Well, tell me how Medicaid for all, Medicare for All is going to ad- address the racist, the, the racist nature of health care. No one wanted to have that conversation. But yet you wanted to say that black um, older voters were, dis- were low information because they didn't believe that white progressives, as usual, uh, were going to vote like they say they were going to vote um, or do e- or not just the vote. But as you said, do the work It's not just the vote It's the work that comes from it. And I can tell you that my. I am most skeptical of white progressives because you have no idea what it's like to um, live in a world that was designed for your destruction. Many of you, only because we're in a global pandemic, lockdown, only saw George Floyd as a problem because you had no other things, nothing else to distract Mm. you. Yeah. And I I think when you look at, you know, who the Democratic Party and I, you know, identify as a white progressive. So I know I'm part of the problem. But when I look at who my party decides to run for office, when I look at uh, all these progressive organizations uh, that have been toxic workplaces for years and toxic workplaces for people of color who've not done enough uh, to to create spaces for leadership. Uh, And, you know, it is it is it's it's on us. It's on me. Uh, and it's it's a lot of work. And that's and that's what this is the thing. I'm not trying to shame you. It's not about sh- and it's not I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I mean you. I'm not I'm talking to the audience. It's not about shaming <laughs> you. It is saying your scraps are not enough. What you think is a 10 is barely a one. Your effort and you could do so much more effort. It's one of the things one of the reasons I stay in tech is for this reason. If I can get a mediocre white dude to understand that if they amplify the voices of, or champion the most marginalized, if, this is a big if, if they have any consequences to that, they're gone. I mean, even if they say, let's they say they got fired, they can get another job. But what most happen, right. what happens most often is they're like, oh, nothing happened to me. Of, of course, nothing happened to you. So can you use your voice more often? Yeah, use your privilege. Exactly. Nothing happens to you, but you're so fucking afraid of doing anything that you do nothing and that continues to harm other people. So that complicit, that, that as you said, that the not doing nothing, I need people to understand that's a choice. Yeah. And again, it creates, going back to disinformation, it creates a vulnerability. It's part of that role. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a way for, you know, foreign actors to exploit us. It's a way for domestic actors to exploit us. Uh, and, you know, if you, even if you're, you know, consider yourself more in the center or, you know, moderate to left, I, I would argue that fighting white supremacy is, is a national security issue at this point, because we've seen how we can be exploited. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable, is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, 
partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. is a national security issue at this point because we've seen how we can be exploited. Oh my God, you're about to bring tears to my eyes. <laughs> I'm not joking because I felt that statement so profoundly. What folks don't understand is, as I say all the time, no one escapes white supremacy unharmed, period. And white supremacy is the thing that is profoundly the cancer in our society. It is metastasized. It is global. The global, I look around places and the level of anti-Blackness that are in all white cultures or cultures in Southeast Asia or um, Central, I mean, anti-Blackness is everywhere. How the hell did we get anti-Blackness everywhere if it was not a strategy, if it was not intentional? And if we... If we address that, and so this, people think I'm being like, I don't have an affinity for Jews or I don't have an affinity for, no, my point is even in Jewish communities, black Jews are more uh, of a target and get harmed more because of their blackness um, than a Jewish person would just be their Jewish. Those intersectional parts matter. And if we focus on and, and prioritize the most vulnerable, we all win. Um, I was going to ask you to give me an example of what you mean by, what would you tell, how, because people need, white folks need ex concrete examples. How would you, what would you tell your fellow white progressives, something concrete they can do to take action now? I think it starts with looking in your own networks and looking within your own organizations um, and I, you know, I work in progressive politics. So a lot of my personal networks, you know, they, they work in that system. And, you know, I know there have been, first there were reckonings with me too. Now we're seeing reckonings with the George Floyd, uh, conversation. And I think there's so much that you can do, uh, to sort of make toxic workplaces better, uh, and start speaking out more. And this is, this is where I say I have a lot of admiration. You know, I'm just maybe on the cusp of being millennial Gen, Gen X, mm -hmm. uh, but where I have so much respect for millennials and younger is they just have, they are speaking out um, about toxic workplace culture. I think more than I have, have ever seen than I ever would have been brave enough to do in their 20s. And I would encourage, you know, white progressives when they're thinking about the change that they want to see, you have to build a strong foundation. 
And if what you're organizing or the organization you're working with or the community that you're working with uh, isn't a broad, inclusive coalition, then you're never going to create systemic change because you can't even get your own house in order. And so the thing I want to want to add to that, though, and what I find problematic with millennials and any is and, and this is just with any I need you to stop centering whiteness. I need you to give past the mic to those millennials or Gen Y or whoever who are the most impacted. So I'll give you an example, the Sandy Hook. That one young man, white dude, who always gets the goddamn mic, I cannot remember his name, to the detriment of total erasure of other people who were also harmed in that situation. The black activists who are a part of his group were saying, hey dude, and he spoke about it once. He was like, yeah, you need, you, the media needs, no, 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 he put that on the media. No, you are the person who, when the media comes to you, no, you need to talk to this person. The, and so, and, and also another thing is, please don't throw away the, the wisdom that comes with an older generation. Mm-hmm. That is problematic. Um, and this is why, again, black um, elders decided, no, 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 no. <laughs> Y'all don't, we're going to take this election and we're going to do what we need to do with this election because we already see what's about to happen. You, particularly black older folks, do not come for them. They have lived and done more for this country than any of you individuals. And there's a the reason black people are still here because we have that wisdom, because they teach us how to how to protect ourselves from white supremacy, how to navigate a system of white supremacy that we don't see in an early age. And this is what I tell people. First of all, your frontal lobe is not fully developed until you're 25. So your your ability to, to assess risk and all those other things are not there. And it's not personal. Hell, I'm a person who drove two hours away in a snowstorm to meet some dude could only stay for 30 minutes because I was supposed to be at a damn basketball game down the street when I was in high school. So I've done my share of dumb, dumb, stupid teen shit or, you know, um, a young adult stuff. Um, and yet I come from a community that has always honored the elderly, honored those that came before us. This is what I, so I love the verve and the vigor and the, and, the, and the excitement of youth. And yet it can be harmful. It is harmful if it's not. See, this is what I tell all that. This is one of the guiding principles. Intention without strategy is chaos. There is chaos in, in, in youthful energy. That's just universal. That's every generation is chaos in, 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 in youthful energy. If it's not harnessed, now where white supremacy is so blatant, the most vulnerable are harmed. And so, yes, get out there and, 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 and do what you, but we can't flip tables. We got to think about this is the same bullshit with the um, tech ethos of move fast, break things, move fast. No, no, no. What did you break? How did you break it? Who got harmed? Let's talk about that before we move on. And so this is what, and this is again, a failing, I believe, and I will tell that of, of Bernie Sanders, he had the youth vote. He had the youth vote. He, it was to me, and, and this is coming from me as an educator, he had a responsibility to help this youthful group to develop the strategies to move their agenda forward in ways that were not harmful, in the ways that were not trolling, that ways that were not um, attacking um, people, and, and that turned people off. Yeah. 
you know? And then people was like, well, if you don't for Biden, I mean, Bernie, you, you, then that means you're for Biden. Again, white people, I don't live in a binary. I, both of them are racist. Every president we've had, except for Obama was a racist and he was an assimilationist because he had to be the perfect Negro to even get the job. So um, I've never had an ideal candidate to vote for. So get over it and let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is, I think, important to build, you know, again, more inclusive coalitions and that includes age too. But I, I do think that so much of what we are seeing is being driven by young people and young activists. And I, I, I do want to just appreciate that. Uh, I was not a Bernie supporter, but... No, no, definitely. And yet I have to be careful because I cannot, I don't live in black and whites um, for, for them not to cause harm to their other youthful uh, compatriots. They need to be mindful of what whites, the role white supremacy plays in their agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, uh, and I I saw this with the Greta and I don't remember her last name. Yes. I saw this and I got pushed back so much from, from white progressives. Like, well, at least somebody she sends and like, no, 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 no. What's going to happen is, and it's happened right after this. I said, she's going to be the face of the climate and everybody else, I don't care how long they've been here and how hard they're working, have been working, will be her and them. It will not be equal. She will be the face of it. And what you saw was a whole bunch of news about um, Greta and, <laughs> you know, um, these people are doing, her, you know, working um, and, as if she did. No, she's in a white ass country doing what she does. She, I'm happy she's saying stuff, but that's not who I want to listen to about this. That's not. I want to listen to people who are living in communities where fucking nuclear plants are and all that. And, 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 and that's who the people I want to, because they've had to live with this. I believe in lived experience. If we're not listening to people with the lived experience and only the people with theory, we have problems. Well, this conversation has gone all kinds of ways. So, so, but I want to get back to one before we close out, I want to get back to disinformation. How can we, cause this episode will air in September. So a month and a half before the election, what can we do since you're saying whether we be Gen Y, Gen millennials, Gen X, boomers, whatever in this time, what can we do to, if we're supposed to, if you're saying, Go to our networks first. Mm-hmm. What strategies can we do in the, I mean, to, to, because it's coming, it is going, it's about to get so much worse now that, particularly now that Kamala is the, um, is the VP pick. Yeah. What can we do? And, and the Kamala stuff is so interesting because, uh, what has come out immediately about her is stuff that was recycled from the primary about her. Um, and I think one of the best examples of solidarity that I saw in the primary was when, uh, Kamala was being attacked online. And all of her fellow competitors in the race, uh, you know, put out messages of support and said, you know, this is not okay. Uh, And I think we need to do a lot of that uh, when people are attacked. We know they're going to come for Harris. We know there are, you know, record number of candidates who are who are black, who are people of color, who are women. And we need to make sure to have their backs when they come under attack as well. Um, But also just, you know, sort of. uh, plug my my report that I wrote for Right Wing Watch, which is uh, disinformation. And uh, just to let you know, I'll put that link in the podcast episode. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, we wrote it in May, but 
we really tried to put it with an eye towards uh, anyone who was involved in this election, either as a reporter or as a voter or, you know, working for one of the candidates uh, to arm them with everything they needed to know. And we go through who is actually spreading the disinformation. You know, we've talked a lot about that on the podcast today. Uh, who are they targeting and why? Because there's not enough conversation about that, uh, particularly uh, with uh, Black voters and, and targeting with voter suppression campaigns, uh, which again, Shireen can, can talk about probably mm-hmm. more than me. Uh, she's got a good report on this, but uh, people have this sense of like disinformation just targeting Trump's face and Fox News viewers. And yes, there's some of that, but they're also targeting our voters and constituents. Yes. Understanding uh, types of different disinformation to look out for, uh, and I also have a section about how the media inadvertently amplifies disinformation uh, because they use social media as an unofficial segment producer. So if something is trending, they're probably going to report on it uh, because they will often put disinformation in the headline, even when the article is trying to correct the disinformation, uh, or they give a, uh, extremism or disinformation. Um, increased credence because they cover it as one side of a political issue. So they engage. Oh, sides. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we have oh. to, I think all speech is equal. Yeah, we have to push back against that as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I will say that reporters really since coronavirus this year, reporters for years, they would be like, oh, but aren't you just being partisan? Or isn't that because you're a former Democrat strategist? Mm-hmm. like, I can't really talk about the Trump administration in, in that way. And now that that veneer is just gone. Uh, so I think uh, not everyone in, in political media, but they have, I think they've gotten it more than I ever expected them to get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there's more of an opportunity to sort of pressure them when they a- amplify extremist content, when they amplify disinformation than there was a year ago. I agree because um, even after the Mueller report, there was still this tiptoeing around certain things. Mm-hmm. And when you see 170,000 uh, people dying of something that um and, and I'll I'll even say this even even if this was inevitable the narrative around what's happening was not in that was very intentional the it's a hoax it's a turning mask into a political issue um yeah. all these things around this pandemic and the pandemic has been a gift to disinformers and bad actors uh, because people are afraid and the government yes. response has been abysmal. So yes. you have these conspiracy theorists and you have hucksters uh, who have come in to fill the void. Uh, the other thing that I think is important to, to realize is, um, uh, again, there's money behind it. You know, those reopen protests were funded by by Tea Party groups. Yes. And, and, and that's what people that. And, and, but even even in that, how did they go to a Michigan um, state Hold it hostage yeah. with guns and everything, and yet protesters on the street peacefully are rioters. Yeah, I mean, I always think of the photo of the guy in the Michigan State House just getting right in the cage. Yes, spitting. Yes, yes. It was like, how is that? Yes, and the police, and they, they're not flinching. Yeah. They're not scared of that, but they're scared of Black people yeah. marching down the street. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the pandemic has definitely aggravated it, and again, there's money behind it, and that's the, that video yeah. uh, that went viral. A couple, God, it went viral over four hours uh, with the doctor in the lab coat and talking about uh, the drug. Pan, you talking about Pan? Pan. This was a couple weeks. Ago. Oh yeah, the black lady. 
Yeah, the demon. Yes, that holler that with the with who says who says that the 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 medicine that the FDA keeps saying, please stop saying it works. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. and that whole thing was organized by Tea Party groups. So the press conference was organized by them. They put it on Breitbart. They used the reopen groups and QAnon Facebook to spread it. Um, so again, there's there's money behind it, and there's strategy. It's not just money. There's strategy behind it, and that's what people need to see. People think this is like some ad hoc people just going. No, there's strategy behind yeah. all of this. Yeah, it's it's not. And which what which encourages me because if there's strategy for that, we can create strategy that opposes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just learning to recognize it and spot it in the wild. Um, and again, like I outline all the different things, the, the right wing, the playbook doesn't change, right? The types of. Dis- oh, most definitely. Because when they come, when, when we engage with them on Twitter, they swear to God, they act like this is the first time we've heard this shit. Exactly. It's like, dude, you are like, get in line behind number 100 something, because I've heard this whole thing before. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even the um, social media bias that they love to crow about, I mean, it's just media bias redone. They just threw the word mm-hmm. social. In front of yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. The same game with tech companies that they did with media outlets because it worked. And the same, or, or the whole conservative voices are being um, silenced. No, 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 no. What's happening is conservative voices have always been there. You're now having to force to share space with people who don't have your views. Your voice has always been there. It's not being silenced because we're getting rid of you. We're it's it's being drowned out because other people and have also, an opinion. When you're conservative and you say racist shit. You're getting in trouble because you're saying racist shit, not because you're conservative. <laughs> no, it couldn't be that. Oh my God. Because then you come with the tears because, you know, whiteness can only be the hero or the victim. It can never be the villain. So you get to cry and you get to see how apologetic and, oh my God, this has just ruined my life. I love cancel culture. I love fucking cancel culture. Oh, please cancel some more of these motherfuckers because all it is is consequences to behavior. You've never had to experience consequences to behavior like other people have. So to them, it's just like, oh my God, what is going on? No, no, this is what happens when you get shit wrong in the real world. (laughs) Uh, What would you like to say in your final um, moments on the show? Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, this was this a great been conversation. Fun. <laughs> it went into some, some places I expected and some places I didn't. And that's what I love about it because it's like sitting around a coffee table with a friend, just whoever, whatever comes up, comes up. <laughs> um, and I would encourage folks who want to learn more, uh, about my work and about disinformation and extremism to subscribe to control alt right delete. You can go to control alt right delete.com. Uh, it goes out every Sunday and it's completely, uh, free. Uh, and I know you said you would would plug the report, but anyone who's specifically interested in disinformation in the election, uh, you know, it's a really uh, it's an easy read and it's a comprehensive guide uh, for what we are facing and what we can do about it. Yes, I'm not only going to um, plug the report, but I'm actually going to conclude the tweet so that they have the because the tweet gives a summary. Oh, and then, you. yeah, and then they can dig into the um, the 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 the. Um, the report. Thank you so much. Um, again, I know this did not go as you may have thought, but this is always <laughs> how it goes for me. It's just no, like, it's good. <laughs> um, um, because what I like folks to see is that these highbrow subjects have lowbrow effect. <laughs> you know? Yeah. These 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 conversations, because I don't want people to think, oh no, this is just so above me. No, 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 because this plays out in everyday life. Yeah, um, and we are all responsible for this. Um, So thank you so much, Melissa. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtagcausescene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.